When I was in graduate school, my friend David Porter wrote this story that was being workshopped. Oh, by the way, David Porter is the editor-at-large of Stereo Embers magazine. Uh, but anyway, so David wrote this story, and the way it worked, and the way it still works, I'm sure, in graduate writing programs is you write something, you give everybody a copy, then you come back a week later, and they critique it in front of you. Does that sound, does that sound harrowing? It is. It's as bad as it sounds, uh, but worse. Anyway, David wrote this story. I don't remember what it was about, but what propels the action in the very first page is this couple have just gotten divorced. And from there, uh, all these events are set into motion. And this woman said, well, I like the story. But I can't really get behind it or buy into it unless I know why this couple got divorced. And David Porter, without missing a beat, turns to her and he goes, sometimes people get divorced. And she had no response because he was right. Sometimes people just get divorced. Sometimes things just break apart because that's the nature of the universe. Some things stay together. Some things don't. Today's show falls into the category of the things that don't. And I'm telling you all this because for years I was looking for an answer as to why the story you're going to hear about today happened the way it did. This is true. I don't want to even tell you how many years I was searching for an explanation uh, that would galvanize and, uh, you know, kind of provide some kind of answer key for why this particular outcome happened the way it did. But the answer all along was completely simple. As simple as sometimes people just get divorced. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Monday, Monday, go away, come again, another day, sick and tired of Tuesdays, Wednesdays could be better, sitting in the office, I'm aware with it Thursday, woman every Friday.
topic of Star Club, a band which featured my guest today on the program, Julian Taylor and Owen Weiss. Let me tell you a little bit about Star Club, Julian Taylor, and Owen Weiss. Now, the song that you just heard is called Hard to Get, and I've said many times on this very podcast, it's the best song of the 90s. And you may or may not agree with me, but you have to admit, I'm consistent. So what was all that talk at the beginning of the program about divorce? Well, obviously the story of Star Club isn't about divorce. That was just a metaphor. But it is about how and why things end. And in the case of Star Club, it's also a really interesting story that certainly could have gone another way. Had all the moving pieces not moved an inch to the left or a millimeter to the right. My fascination with Star Club is kind of like one of those people who has a fascination with an unsolved murder. You put all the pieces together, and none of them make sense. I mean, you had this band made up of schoolboy friends who knew each other since they were 11, and they signed the biggest deal for a debut album in the history of anyone ever on the roster of Island Records. You know, the label who had Bob Marley, U2, and Tom Waits. And then out comes this scorcher of a single that's just the perfect embodiment of the manic pop thrill. And then the debut album hits, and here you are with a great band, a charismatic and handsome frontman, with a massive record deal. What could go wrong? Well, in many ways, everything did. Now, that's not totally fair. There were some triumphant moments for Star Club, but Ultimately, the bottom line is things didn't go the way everyone thought they would. Now, for the 90s and the better part of the aughts, I was utterly lost about why Star Club hadn't taken over the world. In fact, at one point in the early 90s, I said to my friend, Star Club are going to take over the world. But they didn't. And it made no sense. Until now. And the explanation you're going to get It's as frank as what David Porter said all those years ago in grad school. And you're going to hear it right now. As a matter of fact, I think this is the first time they've ever discussed this publicly. So it's going to be interesting. All right, here we go. Julian Taylor, Owen Weiss of Star Club, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. because we actually started off um, as a Beatles cover band and, and to many people we remained a Beatles cover band <laughs> the entire time. Um, I, what's interesting to me is that, so Julian, we've been tracing the history of Star Club and we're trying to sort of uh, apprehend the past and sort of try to figure out um, what was true. And I have, a, I have a potentially reliable narrator and a potentially perhaps, I don't know, uh, Owen says his memory is fuzzy, but you, you seem to remember a lot, actually. Uh, no, well, I was, I was saying the other day, actually, that um, I, was, I was editing one of the, the My 2020 thingies, conversation ones, 
with another old friend of mine that, that June knows as well, uh, Gerald, who used, used to be our mate back when we were at school, and I kept in touch with him. And um, I was editing, well, not really editing, but looking through that one and putting the, you know, the music on and stuff. And uh, I, I was telling him about um, the fact that I'd spoken to Joe about stuff and um, had learned that a lot of the memories that I have are false. You know, these people are like, imprinted with false memories, like you know, they think they were molested as a child or, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, something like that, well, not as bad. All, all of mine are better than that, I think. Um, but yeah, I found out that most of the things that I think I remember, I just, I just made them up. I made like you with the um, only sleeping. Yeah, I just, I literally just made that up. Well, Julian, let's, let's just sort of figure out, like, tell me where you're at musically. Julian, are you, are you playing music? Are you practicing? What's your relationship with your instrument? Uh, I, I do a bit of um, recording. I've, I do video work as well, so it's kind of merged video and audio recording and um, making films and making music. I did a little bit of production last year and I do a little bit of music for the films. But, um, but yeah, I've got a, a little. What's, oh, wow. Yeah, you've got a setup there. Yeah. yeah that looks really good. It's like your own studio. Um, yeah, I've just, just got it set up actually in this, in this house because I had some work done and I've been doing do, do on the uh, DIY today. But um, yeah, I'm still making music, but I don't, I don't play live very much. I've got, I went to university four years ago, well, um, decided to go and try and get a degree. I did audio music production, and um, they, were, they were all obviously younger than me, nearly everybody, there was a couple of old guys, but um, a couple, some of the uh, younger lads said, hey, do you, you want to join, um, join our band? And um, I was like, yeah, well, I'll go and play live again, and they had the cover band. And we rehearsed a bit, and it, it, was, it was pretty shit, and uh, we did a gig, it was pretty shit. And I just thought, is it me, or is it, are they shit or are they, or am I shit? And um, are they making me shit or am I making <laughs> them shit? Because one, for sure, it doesn't sound very good. And, um, and I thought, I, might, I didn't really, uh, I think we all kind of knew, nobody, nobody said, yeah, let's, let's knock that on the head. We just, nobody spoke again of it. That was it? So, uh, yeah, we, we kind of uh, didn't do it anymore, but um, they're, they're young guys. Did everyone, know. do you think everyone thought it was shit, but they didn't know if it, they were shit? Like, yeah, do they have the same thing that you did? I think they, I think, well, the trouble was we had, one of the guys was singing and he was kind of singing more than I was doing some singing. And then people were saying, oh, he's, I mean, he's much better. He's the best singer. You should sing. So this other guy who was, who's a really lovely bloke, I think he probably got a bit upset by that. Right. Well, I remember the same thing in our band when you used to sing. I used to get yeah, really. Jealous. I mean, it's, people used to people used to say, "Why isn't this guy singing?" All the time. All the time. The um, here's a story I haven't told Owen, but the um, oh, I see. He gets the good stories, huh? Well, this is a good story, I think. But when so when Oasis's first record came out, a friend of mine got really into them, and I said, "Because don't forget, like the Star Club's record had come." I'm saying, "Don't forget, you guys know." the Star Club record had come out like a year before, right? Definitely, maybe, isn't that right? Uh, our record before, yeah, ours was before then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I remember saying to my friend, oh yeah, they're pretty good. I said, but the second Star Club record is gonna be bigger 
than the Oasis album. And if, and if it's not, I'll give you 50 bucks. Anyway, so you guys owe me 50 bucks because I had to pay him and you guys never put a second record out. But Owen was telling me that he, when that record came out, you guys weren't thrilled with it. Is that, is that true? And how did that feel to put this album out on a really big label and to not feel personally satisfied with it? Uh, right, well, I think it was just such a big disappointment, um, the, whole, the way it all went. And it, it sort of ground to a halt, really, the whole thing. And we'd, it had been so exciting growing up together, getting the deal, doing the record, but it had just sort of, during the recording and, and from then on, it sort of just, I mean, I don't know if Owen will agree, but we had a, some good times, went to, went to the States, did a couple of support tours, but it just started to, it almost was a gradual decline from, from when we got signed, when, well, um, certainly when we were recording, it just it never really took off in the way that we dreamt it would. And so when the, when the, when the, the records came out over here, they were getting loads of airplay, we thought, oh, well, great. But, it was just sort of somehow didn't rise when it did when they didn't sell. I don't know. We we just didn't we didn't seem to do it right. And yeah, I mean it was ultimately obviously completely demoralising. And it was no surprise when we didn't get uh, when we didn't get taken on for the second album. We got dropped. But um, yeah. and also the band fell apart because the guitar player Steve was he was he drifted away from us. weren't seeing eye to eye musically. Um, there were problems there and he, we kind of left or it was mutual. So the band had sort of disintegrated really. So yeah, all, all together, pretty, pretty disappointing from, from our expectations and dreams from a year or two. Do, or, do you remember this? I don't know if this is a, a memory that, that is real. It, it's been real in my mind for years. So I'm hoping it did happen, but I have, I think I've got a clear memory or a very clear delusion that <laughs> when we were signing uh, record deal, the, the actual day that we signed it, the moment that we signed it. Um, Eamon, our manager, and the, the big wigs were doing things, and we went out onto the little balcony overlooking the square. And in the sun, it was at the gold now, you know, and it's summer evening, and it's all soft and loose and, and wonderful. And I, my memory is that I put my arm around you and I put my arm around Steve and said something along the lines of, you know this is as good as it's gonna get, right? It's all downhill from here. And we went, ha, 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 ha. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Did that happen or, or was that? Um, I think I think you did, I think that was said, yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I do remember, of course, I remember that day. And by the way, I'm pretty sure it may even be 30 years to the day mm. as we speak. It's, it was this time, of, it was July, late July. Sure. 30 years ago, yeah. See, uh, see, this like, is why you get him on. These are the dates. Right. Because, I, well, I know, it was, I know it was July. And you're, I'm you're pretty saying sure it's about the 15th or that kind of thing. So, yeah, we're talking 30 years, exactly. You mean 30 years since he signed the deal? or since signed he... the deal, yeah. Yeah. When, so, when, I mean... When we stood in that, in that uh, office, as he's talking about, and signed, the, signed the, the actual contract, got the check, and went, fucking hell, why haven't they done this? Yeah, but yeah. That is, that's the so start we're winning. If that that was that was was probably the peak, but I don't know. We had some good times after, but it's a long, long story. Yeah, I know. We're trying to chip away at it, and I think the the thing is, is that we we always hear about how fans 
do kind of myth making about bands, you know, like that they sort of in their brains, they create these sort of realities about bands based on what they see, what they hear, what, what, how bands make them feel. On the other side of it though, is that the bands must also be participating in their own version of myth making where you guys had this idea of what things would be. And then there's the reality of what things actually were. Um, and to sort of put those together and match those up um, is sort of where the disappointment can lie. Um, it's a little bit more than that. I mean, you're right, of course, that that is what happens in life. Yeah. Is you have expectation, you have reality, and, and it's heightened when you're, when you're trying to be a rock star. But I think with us as well, and, and obviously, um, you know, in fact, checker will have to check my facts. Um, that we actually got quite badly fucked. So it wasn't just a collision of reality with expectation. It was that plus quite a, a pinch of bad luck and um, and bad and ill fortune. And um, I mean, this is aside from the, the mistakes that we made, which were, were many. But I think, I, mean, I don't know if I was talking to you about this before, but we had uh, we had a music business lawyer who was like you know the the, the top guy apparently, and uh, we paid him huge amounts of money, more fucking money than we got actually, um, a lot more. And um, Ju just uh, alluded to when we we didn't do our second album, and the way I remember it, and again, Ju, correct me if I'm wrong, um, it was on his advice. He basically said, look, they've, they've lost a bunch of money on the first album as a gesture of goodwill. And this is what sticks in my mind. As a gesture of goodwill, um, we want to, to give the advance for the second album back so that they can use it to record the album. Um, and the way I remember it, at least, is that they took the money back, um, didn't use it to make an album, and then just dropped us because we had basically signed away our two album firm deal which we had spent so much fucking time and effort getting or our manager had spent a lot of time getting and we were very proud to get that because it was you know like the holy grail was getting a, a two album firm deal yeah and this motherfucker just said oh i advise you know the best thing for goodwill is for you to is for you to give this up which we did and like i said then then we got unceremoniously fucked off and then, if I'm not mistaken, this cunt got made head of that same record company within the year. Uh, is that sound familiar to you? I don't make that one up. That's true, right? He, he, what, he became head of what? Ireland, Universal Ireland. Yeah, no, it was, it was the parent company for Ireland. And I think it was, was it Polygram or something? There was just some like, oh, you know, right. Uber Even company. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't quite remember that thing that you're talking about. I just, I do remember that we, we, we got a two album firm deal and it was like, that was what we'd done so well to get because if you get that, then all right, the first one might not go too well, but obviously a two album firm means you get another chance. Yeah, of course yeah. you're going to want that. You're going to want that and it's uh, probably going to have a good chance on the second one. But it, again, it didn't really surprise me when they wriggled out of it because there's always a way with these with companies, big companies are going to say, well, I, I don't know about that thing when he, you're probably right. I can't really remember that. Um, we could probably look, we could probably find out actually with just a quick Google search, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that slippery motherfucker ended up um, in a senior yeah. position, if not CEO of, of, 
of uh, Ireland's parent company. No, that's a very funny, very, very strange move of us to, to sort of say. Yeah, why would we do that? Good, I mean, I mean why you would only do that on advice, wouldn't you? Yeah, but, but that, it's the, the manager as well, though. I mean, what happened with the manager then? Well, that was our other mistake, is we got rid of, of the um, rather uh, caustic and, uh, and not particularly friendly Eamon Hessian, or O'Hoy, I don't know how his fucking name is pronounced, but but him, um, who, and then we 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 were allowed to, uh, we we were encouraged by the record company to to get representation who were very friendly with the record company. So, you know, we're looking back on it, and it's just just really dumb. Just well, like all of the mistakes we made. I mean, I mean, I can you know. tell you guys, you know, having interviewed bands since I was fifteen years old. I've never heard of that ever happening. I mean, that, that's something I've never, I mean, you might be the only band to ever do such a, I mean, it was a very honorable thing to do, but probably not, probably not wise, right? Well, I'm just pleased that we, you know, are memorable for something, <laughs> even if it's just getting the biggest ass back in, in musical history. <laughs> I mean, Julian, do you think that, what's really interesting to me is that, you know, you guys signed, I think it was like the biggest deal for a new band with Island Records, which, and Island Records, to be fair, um, you know, they have the money. They, it wasn't like Island Records was a small indie, um, you know, Island, you know, with U2 and Bob Marley, and uh, the list just goes on. It's absurd to even break it down. Island is a, is a huge, you know, they had the money. Um, so the fact that they even took it is is ridiculous. But I'm just kind of wondering, is it, is it weird for a company like that to have lost faith so quickly? In, in other words, why not do a second record? It wasn't going to be with them. Um, that was one of the reasons that we signed to them, wasn't it? Because we had, we had at least three or four offers or companies that would. We had a lot. I mean, not, not to be arrogant. I think we, we had... got four offers. So we, we, we had some choice. But it was Ireland. We Ireland had credibility, and Ireland stuck with their acts. That was their reputation, and they mm. they did see people through some uh, less successful times, uh, and, and such and such. There we can't I can't remember them now, but um, Robert Palmer or something. People had, but, but they had stuck with their acts to make them. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, we you know we we made some dumb decisions, but but we weren't dumb if if you can see the the distinction. I mean, we we thought quite carefully about it, and we. We were cognizant of the fact that that bands get fucked up about record companies, and like Joe said, we had done a little bit of research, and we we knew that Island Records, okay, they they didn't have at that particular time as much success other than U2 um, in the charts as, as the other companies that were chasing us, and we were getting chased by major companies, a lot of major companies, and we really did have our pick, and the reason we went with them is because we thought that they were a proper music company, you know, who supported their artists. Um, yes, yeah, some of the artists they had, we liked. I mean, I was a big fan of Free, and um, uh, Julian was really into the Cranberries, I remember. Um, and, <laughs> but, you know, other labels had great artists as well, so it wasn't that. It was, it was the fact that we thought that they would support us when, if things got tough. You know, it was like a the thing is that that's pretty naive, isn't it? Well, we know it's what 21, 22, whatever. You, you kind of 
yeah, they'll stick with us. Yeah, no, they, just because they stuck with somebody else or just, yeah, things were different back then. Maybe they did, they put in, we spent loads of money. We had a massive deal, as we've talked about already, but the biggest deal that they're given to an unknown band, they were in for some money. So um, I had it with a, a band I was in after that called Beato. We, we, got, we got dropped and we were, we were doing quite well, but if they, they do cut their losses at some point, record companies, if they don't think that it's gonna, that they're gonna make the money back there. They come support, they go, right, that's it. And uh, they, they pull the rug. And um, it just, it happens all the time. We're not, yeah. it's certainly not the, the first or last. No, no. I mean, I don't know what if bands are getting deals these days, so the music business is completely different and I wouldn't know what happens, but it, certainly up to that point, we were at the, don't forget, this was only 1990. So the, the, the 80s had only just finished with all that money that was going around. And it, we, I think we were just at the tail end of that taking advantage of that sort of money that was being splashed around and we, we they they let us buy 30 grand's worth of music of studio equipment and put it in the house including the buddy two inch 10 grand two inch tape player a recorder um and i can remember the guy saying the head of a&r well it's an experiment but it's not an expensive not an expensive experiment this is 30 of over thirty thousand pounds so this, this was like- that's Quite a lot of money back in 1990. And that's, that's 30 years ago. So yeah. we're talking about a good bit of money. Um, so- And they let us up. use our mate who'd never made a record that we made our demos with. We just said, oh, we want to use Lee because we grew up recording in his little studio in Maidstone. And we'd done our demos with him that, that got us the deal. And being who we were, which I think, basically nice lads um we thought well wouldn't it be nice if we made the record with them as well and and they to their credit said yeah go go for it you know and they gave us the oh, freedom yeah. to experiment well, with that i know we wanted to do it that way but they really should have said look let's go in with lee into the such and such studio well they had their own studio at the bottom of the building let's mm. go in there for two weeks or whatever time let's do let's try and do three tracks and see how it goes two tracks Mm -hmm. uh, to a professional standards that's what i would say if i was, to, had a, if I was in their position now um try it out you know this this sort of kind of get doling out of money for for things but it's great when you're in the position that you're getting it but as soon as they they turn on you it's like shit we spent don't, you too think, much money. don't you think i do that there's uh that that delusion that that we had and that young bands had in those days was also a shared delusion with all the people that worked to the record I mean, it did seem like there was unlimited money all the time they would they would sign a band and the band wouldn't work out they wouldn't go oh shoot we better not sign any bands i like why don't we just spend another million on this band and see how that goes it just there was a sense well, it, of of unlimited credit almost in the music industry yeah. i think there was and that was what you aimed for you aimed to try and get a deal like that where you could have a load of money spent on you and it's not necessarily the best way to go if you if you build it slowly, it's, that's how you're going to last. If you build, even people are doing it now, like Ed Sheeran, one of the biggest artists in the world, started by just doing gigs everywhere. And, it, and people back then were doing that. And we, we sort of didn't really, we did a lot of gigs, but we didn't really try and build that following. We, try, we sort of bypassed that and tried to go in with a, a big studio. We did go in with a big studio, a big producer. And it, it sort of doesn't really work if you haven't got, done, built your fan base. And 
Is that, that true? That, no, I mean, I mean, we. It must have been a reason why we did that. It was. I don't think. It, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't because the very company said, "Look, you guys have got to just build up a following and do it." And we said, "No, fuck you. We're going in the studio and spending a lot of money." It was their. It was their direction at their direction yeah. that we did. That. It's a standard path to follow. That you get signed to a decent deal. Yeah. And you get put in the studio, and then so, but. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you other bands you could look at from that time or any time, how they've done it. But it's it's all to do with if people pick up on your on your records. And if I think you know, one of the things I think that there was a big problem with us is there was such a huge delay between us getting signed and us putting our record out. Um, I really feel that if we'd even put the record out that we made with Lee when we did it, it would have been it couldn't have been any worse it would have done better than the one we put out. Um, not necessarily because it would have been a better record, but just because the time would have been more appropriate. By the time I remember when when our record was ready and, and ready to come out, Nirvana came out and I was just like, oh, we are so dead. So Nirvana, oh, Nirvana just so hit, dated. they hit, because they hit in 91, and that was, your album didn't come out for another year, right? Mm. Hit in the states in ninety one, fall of ninety one. Right. Okay, so I think we got signed in ninety in nineteen ninety, um, and I think our record maybe came out in ninety two or yeah. no no ninety three, wasn't it? I think. Um, but I remember listening to mixes, or I, I remember some. We were in a car going somewhere, and uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" came on the radio, and I was just like, "Oh fuck! Oh my god, we're so dead." Our stuff sounds so anodyne shit. Here's another thing. I like do was mentioning earlier on that what happened with Steve, our guitar player, and and before we got signed, we were pretty simpatico. Um, we weren't necessarily um, sort of natural allies outside of the band, but but the the process of being in the band since we were eleven had forged this real kind of brotherhood vibe, and. Um, and so our, our various idiosyncrasies and, and, and failings as human beings were, were masked and overlooked by the, the, the ambition to succeed and, and the knowledge that we all needed one another in order to succeed, right? Um, and once we had succeeded, or you know, when, you, when, you, when you sign a huge record deal um, after trying for 10 years, or you know, at least playing for, for a long time, um, it's difficult to keep the focus up, to keep the hunger up. There is a huge temptation to just think, oh, we've made it. I remember thinking and feeling, you know, we're good now. We're, yeah. This is all, it's all going to plan. It's all going to work out how we want it. We've done the hard work, um, which is getting spotted. And that was the hard work in those days. You know, getting a record deal was really fucking hard. Actually. Very hard. Yeah. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't do it at Ed Sheeran or a, um, Who's that bird who just did a, a record recently? You know, you could you didn't have the technology to make great records in, on your computer. It just wasn't a thing, right? Um, so we'd passed the, the gatekeepers. We'd we'd got the, you know the keys to the kingdom, if you like. And um, when when we did that, the, the, the fractures started to appear. We started we um, lost focus, and we lost that kind of sense of uh, all for one and one for all. I mean, it's kind of slightly, I mean, Jim mentioned that Steve drifted off, but I think to 
some extent, we all kind of slightly drifted off from one another, got involved in, in slightly different music and slightly different friend groups or girlfriends or whatever it was, you know. Um, and that that's not good when you're starting off your career. You can't have that. Yes, no, though. I mean, we, we've been so close, but we'd through necessity, really, because we've, we're so skint. We got a flat in London. We, we were really close and had, had a good laugh together, but we probably were different personalities even then. But we were so sort of, as I say, skint and trying to make it with nothing. That, you know, we got moved to London. I share a room for two and a half years with another guy, not, not a flat, a fucking bedroom. Right. Um, we, we had to be close. We had to get on, didn't we? But as soon as we had enough money, it's at least me to get my own, us to get our own bedroom. That was a breakthrough. And, yeah. and and it was literally physically apart and and I, yeah i got i got sort of into different sorts of music going to out more to clubs and steve was doing this thing owen was doing this thing and it was but that is probably quite normal for three blokes to not say look we go around with each other all the time and right right of course well, I don't know. I'm going to disagree with that because uh, you know, a whole template for for us as a as a friendship group and a, a musical group was the Beatles, and 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 for me at least, and I, I had assumed June and Steve, part of that was the you know the gang mentality, the fact that they did all do the same thing, they did all hang out. Well, obviously not as much as you saw in the movies and and stuff, but you know, you read the, the biographies, and, and they were. Even uh, after they became very famous, they were spent a lot of time together until, you know, you're 65, 66, and it started to fracture slightly. But, you know, um, but they were we, so we fractured a lot more quickly than they did, and I think we paid the price for it. It's, it's all this whole story of everything kind of grinding, not to a halt, but sort of everything went so slowly after we got signed. Yeah. yeah. We saw the the Beatles when they were making it. Well, they'd been to Hamburg, they'd been in Liverpool, they'd been playing however many times a year. They they yeah in Hamburg they went and then they got their, a record deal, got a record out, and then it, it was just like they didn't stop. Well, made made an LP in a day, and when it yeah. took us fucking two how years. How many songs did they write, and how many records did they make in the space of four or five years? And then they wanted to stop touring. And it's no wonder when you look at the, what they used to do, all the things they did in it in their time over those years. And um, so, yeah, they were all buddies and everything. But as soon as they had the chance to sort of drift apart, i.e. they didn't go on tour anymore. So, look, we're just going to go in the studio and do our thing. We're going to have a bit of time to ourselves. Then they did go apart. And they had women that um, tore to them apart a little bit as well, maybe. But... That, that's again I, th I see that as pretty pretty natural yeah um, yeah and I think if we'd been if we'd got signed and then sort of said right you're off on tour you're going to do uh, you can do five support tours for the next year we, we'd have all been pals and as we, as we always have been because all we did what we used to do was just play, go and play live three times a week didn't we two three or four times a week yeah. we used to go and play somewhere off in our van and then we didn't have any money to go out and um, enjoy ourselves independently altogether. So it just was, yeah, it was this little unit that didn't go and do anything apart from go and play, really. We won't well, I, 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 maybe I'm just more romantic um, 
but I, I, I actually thought we were friends. Well, we not were. just because of convenience. But no, but I think um, it, it's. Uh, oh, he's off. He's off. I'm just trying to get the drugs. Well, the, <laughs> but Julian, what, what I think, I get what you're saying. Oh, and you can still hear me, right? Um, yeah, I get what you're saying because what you're saying is sort of like, if if music is the connective tissue that that is the bond, right? Because it's not like you guys were in a chess club together. You were you were in a band, and so the work is the connective tissue that sort of yeah. is the, the common denominator. And then if you're saying that if, if you had been busier, if you guys had been, because the worst thing you can do to young men is give them time with no work. And, you know, if you guys were playing a bunch of gigs, if you had more musical That's assignment. That's the second most thing. Uh, so, okay, second most. Is that we what you're saying, Julian? Did... We were kept busy in that we, we did do a little bit of touring at first when we got signed. We did the odd session, the odd sort of bit of recording. We did that sort of recording we talked about earlier with mm. our original producer. So, and th these things weren't working out. So that, but then we went to the big studio with the big producer and then it kind of went so slowly. I mean, we were, do we were there for what, three months doing this pre-production, which I'd never heard of at, at that time. I thought, what the fuck is pre-production? I mean, I realized what was going on now, but right. so we were in another room that wasn't even the studio, just sitting around programming hi-hats and stuff and it's like, you know, it, it's dull. And it's like, it's really this dull. isn't really what should have been happening. And I think we sort of knew that. that well, I don't think I did know it personally at the time. I think I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah, this is what bands do. This is, we're going to be proper artists. with Chris I, Hugh, massive success. I, I did not like it. I know you, you didn't like it. Steve was and, really and, and I, I didn't think it was good. And I had a really bad feeling about it because when you were making a record and the thing that you look forward to most is the fucking table tennis. You know, you're making a shit record. Too many, too much table tennis, you know, cans of fizzy pop. <laughs> when you drank that wasp. Oh, yeah, do you remember? And I had my lips thrown up like John Merrick's band. We used to spend so much time outside playing table tennis and we used to drink these drinks all the time. And he suddenly goes, <laughs> and he'd got stung by this wasp. And he swelled up, his lips were like, like a cartoon character. I had to have a. I, fuck yourself. I had a, um, still have an allergic reaction to uh, wasps or bees or whatever yeah. they are. Anyway, um, and they were in my mouth, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm going to spit this out." Because if they stung me in my throat, I probably would have all swollen up and not been able to breathe. Um, so I spat them out, but they got me on the top lip as they went. Yeah, and this thing just fucking swelled up like, uh, you know, those like lost Amazonian tribes that put. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Like Tupperware in the lips or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to go home. My girlfriend at the time was a nurse, and uh, she she was going to look after me, and I was no good to anyone there. Just everyone was laughing at me, and I couldn't even talk, let alone sing. And I remember going on the train home by myself, and this kid and his mum sat down next to me, and the kids started crying. <laughs> so so I, I was so ugly, I made a child cry. Well, look, you drink a couple of wasps. Um, so you guys, when you, there was this huge weight with this album, you finally got it together, but you really weren't, Julian, is it fair to say that nobody in the band was really happy with the first album, the way it, the way uh, it came out? Well, about that, I don't know about that. I mean, I think Steve was, especially his own songs. I'll I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know what 
I think I thought the singles were good. I mean, yeah. if I, I mean, if I listen to them now, which is to, if they come on every now and again, I'm, if I'm at someone else's house, um, they sound I'm sure good. You listen to them every day. Probably got but, um, I don't know. I, don't, I think we, on another, on another day, another year, or another time, it, it could have been really successful. Yeah, right. But it just things have to really go right for you to get to make it. And they and they didn't. They just sort of. Well, we we had good airplay, as I said earlier, on those two singles, and um, people couldn't get them, could they? It was before you, you couldn't obviously before the internet couldn't download anything. If you could have downloaded those tracks, like now, it, it could be a different story. Because I think a lot. Yeah, of there was there was definitely there was an iron uh, factory or some weird logistical snafu where, where you couldn't actually buy the record, even though it was getting played on on the you know the on the on the playlist um i want to talk about the the record though because you said alex you said you know did we do we like it or do we not like it um <clears throat> i agree that that steve liked it or he seemed to like it he spent enough fucking time doing it okay but i i stopped liking it really quite early on in the process and i remember or well, i think <laughs> i have to qualify every time i say use the verb remember so we would just rather me qualifying. We'll just say from now, whenever Owen says "remember," it's possibly true, possibly not. Okay. But I remember um, saying, "I don't fucking like this record. I just want us to make a record that sounds like our first record, and not a record that sounds like you know our fifth record." And there's another thing that stuck in my mind was, was Chris Hughes and Steve would talk about trying to make this album that you know on the twentieth listen on the cans you would hear this thing that you'd never heard before. I was just like, no, this is fucking do a chorus, right? With, with loads of energy and some catchy stuff and some backing vocals and some drums and just fucking make a live record, fucking hell. And I hadn't sung for two years almost by the time we came to the vocal tracks. My singing was terrible, weak and, and uh, febrile and you know, my range was gone and my power was gone. And the best... Uh, vocals on the record are the ones that we kept from the demos when we were playing yeah. a lot, when we were doing those four-a-week gigs that Joe was talking about. I remember it took ages to get to doing the vocals because we had been doing all this programming for so long, then all the instruments, I mean, obviously... We layered guitars, didn't we? We had 15 fucking guitar solos all layered. Oh, and went on and on. And it's fair enough. Yeah, you do have to layer guitars. You do do it. You do do that. But all the programming well, and then the drum, drum track, drum tracks. Some of the live stuff had been had taken forever as well. Loads of takes and cuts and stuff. And um, yeah, I do remember it. it finally, we got around to doing the vocals, and Chris didn't seem to. It, it developed this Steve and Chris thing where they were sort of really close and Steve was kind of almost trying to get in as, as almost an assistant producer, wasn't he? Um, yeah. And they, it, it was, there wasn't much, not much thought when in care went into the vocals and it seemed like you'd lost interest as well. And it was all, well, it was too, it was too late. I think I would probably say you should, we should have done a few tracks completed a few tracks first, like two or three, and yeah. gone to the next ones, instead of well, like... Doing, um, subsequently never... to, to being in a band, when I started teaching, um, when I was teaching vocals, and, and 
<laughs> the only thing I could bring to that job was my experience of having done it. But I didn't know anything about the um, vocal technique until I started teaching. I had to read all these books and stuff. And um, it's, it struck me as quite weird that no one in our sphere at all thought, you know what's going to be really bad if the singer doesn't sing for two years? Like, it, it's so obvious to me now, and what I would say to my students, and looking back on when I did sing well, is when we were fucking playing all the time. It's like any exercise, you know, if you, if you go to the gym three times a week, it's fine. If you haven't gone to the gym for fucking, you know, two years and you go back again, all your muscles are atrophied and weird right. and fucked up. That's exactly what happened with, with singing. Um, so you had that, uh, like a really pitiful vocal performance from me, allied to singing on top of backing tracks that I didn't fucking like, you know, as well as being bored out my fucking mind with it and not liking the band, not liking the name of the band, not liking the album. I just, I was so fucking dissatisfied with what had happened to the band, I thought that we were going to just kind of go in and and make a please please me, you know, and we right. ended up being in Abbey Road. Yeah. Yeah.
sort of like it was like a julian like a, like a really slow train that just sucked the life out of you guys to, to, to a point yeah i mean when it when it got to the end and we were mixing um in back in london and going down to the mix and stuff was finally getting finished it was like all oh, right here we go here we go it, it wasn't like we thought oh we're, it's all over but it it, it certainly it was too, it was so much expectation as well because it had cost so much money and so much time there was so much expectation that first record had to get in the charts or the second one and then they didn't and it's like oh no are we going to get dropped and um yeah sort of yeah very true honestly did you guys have the songs for a second album no, not um really. not not really oh there's a couple we, of good ones um, you know what we should have done is we should have we should have uh, just thought okay we're going to work our bollocks off now and do better songs um, I mean, we, frankly we could have released half the songs off the first record again since I can't fucking heard them the first time um, but yeah we, we had a couple of decent songs but the problem was by that stage the, the songwriting and and arrangement of the songs the actual process of that was kind of uh, tainted because we didn't, we weren't simpatico anymore, you know, like, especially me and Steve, we were just fucking poles apart on what we wanted to do musically and what, what, uh, what we were hoping to achieve and the way we wanted to do it. So um, it was just, it was, I think, I think, yes, we did need to write better songs uh, and we should have worked harder on that, but I think it would have been very difficult to do so um, with the, the, the feeling in the band at the time and the sort of mechanics of, of how the, the partnership was not working. Um, in the old days, when it was fun and it was good, um, these things tended to fall together quite easily, quite naturally. Yeah. Um, because you're all kind of pulling in the same direction. There's always a, a tension from the beginning between me, it's like I thought the Beatles went downhill when George joined, and Steve, who like late Beatles, right? And Jill was, I'm speaking for him now, but I think kind of was able to straddle both camps a little bit, hopefully more on my side, I don't know. <laughs> um, but by the end of it, it, Steve was just so locked into kind of like, big productions and, and uh, lush complex arrangements and I just wanted to that's why when Nevermind came out and I heard Teen Spirit I was like fuck that's a record I wanted to make and I'll tell you another thing um, that I remember with a caveat is I had a song it wasn't very good 
but I had a song and the idea was quite good, which is I wanted the verses to be really, really super quiet and the choruses to be the loudest thing you'd ever heard. And I thought that difference in, in volume would be really exciting. And uh, I just distinctly remember our producer and our programmer and, and various other experts in the studio sitting around saying, oh, you can't do that because of stuff that I didn't understand, you know, science things. I was like, oh, that's a shame. Maybe that's why no one's ever done it before. And it wasn't that at all because someone did it, you know, if, if probably around the same time I was thinking about it or, or, or afterwards, I don't know, but, you know, that was what defined um, that album, wasn't it? That, that Nirvana album was the, you know, talk about the vocals and the, and the, the, the strange uh, tonality that, that they had in terms of their chord progressions and the way the melody went on the top of it. But, but you know, one of the big things that defined them was, were those huge dynamic leaps. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to do that. And what Kurt Cobain and, and his gang had clearly was either the gumption to say, no, we're fucking doing it anyway, or the luck to have a producer said, yeah, we're going to make that happen. And they, we they were just doing it, weren't they? They were performing those songs. That was their style. So when they went to the studio to do the first out, their first album, they, they just did it like that because that's what, that's what they did. Right. But you forgetting that we didn't have the, um, we didn't have a drummer. So that, that was a major part of our problem with trying to... I don't know, this is fucking ludicrous. Absolutely <laughs> ludicrous when that long without a drummer. Please please me. Because it was like, oh, why don't we program the drums? Oh, okay. Um, and then it, it, it just takes so long to do that. And, that, and it's really um, a sort of, yeah, uh, what's the word? Well, it's, it's inorgan non-organic sort of sound that you end up with. You, lost yeah, the, you, like you lose the spontaneity, don't you? You lose the, the feeling. Really? You lose the I mean, no, nowadays you could probably do it. spontaneous record in history, well, apart from the other ones that Chris Hughes has done. And I'm knocking <laughs> him because he's, <laughs> it's his sound that is, you know, with Tears for Fears stuff is brilliant, but that, that's the way they did their records, and that's fine. Yeah. So how he works. But it was, he's, you know, he, he does his thing very well, and you're right. I mean, I, those, some of those records sound great, but it just, it really wasn't what I wanted to sound like. I don't know about you. Um, it was clearly what Steve wanted to sound like, but I really didn't want to sound like that. I wanted us to sound like, like the Lars. Remember when, when we heard There She Goes and, and the Stone Roses, and we were just so excited by that music, and it was kind of like a bridge between the time that we were living in and the excitement that we had when we first started listening to the Beatles. Well, for me, you know, the early Beatles were in Please Please Me and Hard Days Night and all that stuff. Um, so when I heard There She Goes and, uh, and the, the Lars album and that kind of stuff, it's just like, this is, that's the kind of sound that I wanted to make. That's the kind of energy. I just wanted it to sound like it was when we did those gigs, you know, and the Brahms and Liszt were all fucking drunk out of their mind and I was, bleeding from a fucking head wound and we were just fucking we were rocking we were a rocking little band you know and that's what i wanted to be i wanted to do the the chris hughes type you know listen to the 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 subtleties on the cans on the 50th go i wanted to do that when i was 28 you know or, or 38 i mean that that's because that's really that's such a technician's approach um i would have thought that someone like steve lillywhite or clive langer um, or even Gavin McKillop um, would have been a great producer for you guys. Why did you guys, Julian, when you, when you decided on Chris, 
did you kind of realize that it was too late to turn back and he probably wasn't the right guy for the first album? I think that he's a very uh, charming guy. Um, we all loved him. Yeah, he's, he's very charismatic, very funny. Yeah. We all wanted we all wanted his approval. I know I did. Yeah, and he worked with the, he'd been at the top of the tree. He'd worked, worked with Paul McCartney not long before, just before us, I think. So it was like, you know, it's just really big time. And we believed everything he said, and we believed mm -hmm. that what his what he, the way he worked was the way to do it. And I still have a bit of that when I'm when I'm working with people, or sort of, or on my own. I, t I try and sort of, I t I t he would have been the biggest influence on the way. I sort of try and record and, and I try not to take as long and stuff as we did, but it, it still has, it's rubbed off on me that that's how you do things. Um, and, but I don't, um, I don't know. I look, I can look back on it and I think, yeah, I, wouldn't it have been great to go in with Steve Lillywhite or, or one of the more sort of um, energetic kind of producers. Imagine us making a record with Butch Fig. That'd be fucking awesome. I've come back to it though. We, we had to get a drummer in order to make that sort of record. We, and we mm. should have, we did, we got that guy after we got signed and he was a nutcase. He wasn't really good enough either. So we should have, when, when we got rid of him, we should have really, okay. yeah, we need another, we need yeah. another drum. We need a drummer. Come on, let's go. Let's, let's get, let's get adverts out. Let's get someone. someone like Justin, who we, we knew Justin who ended up in Elastica. If we'd used him, my, someone like that, or our mate Tam, who also auditioned for us. You know, Tam, Tam came to us like fucking I a year too early. early. Can you imagine how awesome that band would have been with his musical input as well? You know, if we'd, if we, if we'd had him in uh, on, the, on the sticks, fucking hell, I mean, who, who knows what, what would have and happened. And songwriting as well, you know, because, you know, he's, he would have been fucking such a, uh, an addition to and I don't know how Steve would have taken We made it, a conscious but... thing, though, don't you think, that we, after Keith, this is the drummer that didn't really work out. He did a couple of recordings with us and he, he didn't really work out. He, he was quite funky, but he, he, he was out basically. We did sort of say, fuck it, it's just the three of us. Let's go and do it this way. We, we did all agree to do that. And I mean, I that's how that we did our, our demos, to be fair, isn't it? And that's how we got signed was, was that, was just some shitty fucking programmed drums and us playing over top of it. I think that's what we thought. Well, why don't we just keep going with that sort of style? And we can, we get a drummer for live, and then we just do program for for demos, but for for recordings. But they they weren't demos, you know. They were they had to, and they weren't going to be They were they weren't exciting, because of the time, that you had to spend doing it that way. But even even doing program drums, it can be quick. But yeah, can yeah. now. I mean, here's the thing: like if we made that record now with program drums, <coughs> I can make that in a day on this laptop. Right. <laughs> but because of the way that things worked back then. Was, you didn't even have Pro Tools, you had sound tools. Pro Tools didn't even exist in those days. So I look at a band like REM, Julian, who I grew up loving, and I stopped loving them when they lost their drummer. And I remember when, when Bill Berry left the band, I remember thinking, well, they'll be okay. Uh, he's the least essential member of the band. That was what I thought to myself at the time. I don't know anything, you know. Um, and that, that couldn't have been more off the mark. And so for you guys, you, it's very rare for a young band to be walking around without a drummer. I mean, you really do need... Oh, it, was a, it was a bit weird, to be honest. Yeah. A couple of, it's fucking stupid. We had a few drummers, didn't we? People used yeah. to come in and play. And, we and here, here's guys. another thing. Here's, here's another... Sorry to interrupt, but here's another thing that's just... I have to go with my memory when it works. Is 
a difference between me and Joe on the one side and Steve on the other in terms of where we wanted to go. We had this fucking bloke called Hugo turned up. And as soon as I found out his name was Hugo, I was like, come on about something fucking Hugo. But not only was his name bad, he was just like, he was super posh, obviously. And he was just like a real muso guy, you know, tippy tappy fucking polyrhythm, 50 piece kit. And I was just like, I just want a dude the fucking snare drum and one fucking tom and a fucking generally just plays nice and tight and got a good feel yeah and steve was like oh hugo's amazing and i was like no hugo's not amazing um for me he's not doing it for me and then little whitey turned up and um steve wasn't seeing it but me and Jude just kind of caught each other's eye and we were just fucking laughing he was like this, fucking, this little guy's brilliant this 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 is the guy Unfortunately, he was the guy two years too late. So, uh, Julian, for you, was it was it a hard thing to walk off when when it was all over? In terms of when it became very clear that the island was not going to pick you guys up, and it, and that whole chapter really came came to a close. Whatever you whatever you guys decided to do next was up to you. But was that hard to walk off? Because at the time you were probably what maybe twenty seven at the time. Yeah, younger, younger than that. Younger than that. Like younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, we, we've been with them about four years. And it, it's, we, I think we'd known for the, the last six months or two a year that it wasn't going very well and, and Steve had left. So done about being hard to walk off because you don't have a lot of choice when, when, they're, when they're dropping you. You're like, so we got a payoff. They did have to give us something to get rid of us. And it sort of was a little bit of money. And we, me and Owen and Alan actually kept on going in a more of a sort of punky kind of energetic band, which is maybe what we were trying to make the first one sound like. We tried to do stuff a bit like that. And that, that nearly got somewhere, but it, again, it didn't really, somehow it didn't, it wasn't quite right for the time either. Or I, I don't know, we were, that was quite good, but we kind of kept, basically didn't really stop doing it. We carried on. Right. And then we got the guy town we were just talking about. Uh, he, he came in on drums and we had a good thing going for a while, but that ran its course as well in the end. And you sort of, you know, when you're not, the people involved aren't really enjoying it. And then it's, it's the rights on the wall, isn't it? Cause you sort of like another gig or another thing. And we, we, We'd given it, we'd given it a good shot, and we'd we'd done some good stuff in that band, but um, it sort of just after probably maybe a little bit too long, we tried to do it, and realised that we, even though it it had been quite good, and we thought we had some good stuff going, it just seemed like I don't think we're going to get anywhere here. We've, we've been dropped. I think it's time to go separate ways, and it's it wasn't. Well, it just happened, really. You know, you couldn't, and th and the thing was with. It was upsetting when Steve left or we kind of kicked him out. He left at the same time. Um, that was quite upsetting because we'd been so, had, had been such a long journey from yeah. the age of 12 or whatever. Um, so from that moment on, it was sort of like it, things changed. That was the end of a dream in a way. That was the and end then, of, yeah. of, of the band version one. And then we, then we liked you. So we, we tried doing a slightly different thing, keeping Alan on and, and going a bit more, a power trio-ish, well, completely power trio-ish, so there's three of us. Um, and then when Tam came in, we had, we had sort of paint mark two. I got to tell you that that was like the most fun that I'd had playing in a band since before we got signed. 
I fucking loved that band. That was great. Um, but I guess I must have lost interest in it. Um, Julian said we did, so you know, you'll he'll, he'll know. Oh, well, that was cool. But I don't remember losing interest. I must oh, have done we, because we, we, we started. Years but... we were doing that. And we did, we did go in the studio, we were in with JJ Burnell from The Stranglers, he was producing us and, but it never, things that we, where we thought we were going to get something released, it just fell through when... And we were just kind of skirting around that edge of the, of the Camden scene, weren't we, when all those bands started coming through, it's like, well, why not us? And they were just, oh, they win, but they were stood behind us, like you're in a queue, you know, it's like they call the people behind you, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on, we were here first, what? What's going on? And then they yeah. would get called, and we would get called, and then we, we would just be left there, you know, last. Well, I mean, so Julian was, when, when it finally became very clear to you that, so it wasn't going to be with Star Club, it wasn't going to be with Paint, um, and Owen and I have talked about this a lot, but for you, was then was that the part that was hard to walk off, or did you just sort of accept it as like, this is just the end of a chapter of my life, and now it's time to move forward? I think, I think it was, yeah, just, just time to to move forward and um, I mean I happened to sort of be starting with something else at that time with a, a bloke I knew um, called Louis that was he just he'd got in touch with me and I'd done already done a demo with him and it was I sort of went from one things into that and that ended up six months after kind of doing that thing I got in that band and it, and we got somewhere so at that time it seemed like it was all okay because um, I sort of went from one thing to another. I didn't spend a long time thinking, oh, no, what, am, what, what am I doing? Um, I did. You did? Yeah. You did the uh, thing, didn't you? You did Bunny Men on pretty much at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was, it was... Here's the thing, right? Everyone thinks that's like the pinnacle of, of my fucking career and, and loads of people are jealous of all the the things that we did you know and it was good you know we i had a taste of the very top level or, or just below the very top level of the music business with the private planes and the limos and the letterman shows and the fucking you know glastonbury main stage and all that stuff but it was good and the money was good but it wasn't wasn't my band with my mates doing our music and that's what right. i wanted you know Never gonna um, feel it. It was it was a good job. That's what it was. It was a yeah. good job, yeah. and it gave me the opportunity to, you know, fuck a lot of women and and go to a lot of different places and and do a lot of drugs and have a nice time. But it wasn't why I wanted to do music. You know, it could have been any cunts that they're doing what I was doing. You know, I did an okay job of it, but you could have done that job. It's nothing special. You know. Yeah, I mean, Julian, I was asking own a, a while ago like what it was like for a front man to not be a front man um yeah. and just sort of to be playing right with Echo and the well, Bunny. He's, yeah. he's just explained it there it's not it's yeah. obviously not very nice um right. it's not it's not it's not satisfying is it it's not it's well, for me thing. i'm not i'm not a front man so i went from being a bass player to a bass being a bass player doing back and courses although these other guys i was, had I was a weird front man though because because again, and, and maybe this was just me, I thought it was all of us, but maybe it's just me. But my, the template was always the Beatles in my mind. I never wanted to be like Owen and the Star Club. You know, I, ne I never wanted that, despite what, what Steve thought. I never wanted that. I always, even when we, like, when we did our fucking publishing deal, mm. it's like, well, we got to split all the money. 
because that's what the Beatles did, because we're a gang, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, I didn't want to be like, you know, the singer with the, the, the front man. I wanted us to be like, in fact, in fact if you look at an early, early picture, a flyer that I did for, for one of our gigs years and years ago before we even got signed, it was like little caricatures of each member of the band and they all had their own little personality, mm. right? Who appealed to a different set, like the Beatles did, you know, you had your Ringo fans right. and your John fans and whatever. And that's kind of what I thought we were doing. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to have the Owen fans, but I didn't want everyone to be Owen fans. You know, I wanted the people that like me to like me and the people that like Steve to like Steve and the people that like you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't a case of, of going from being a front man to being a side man that was difficult. It was going from playing music that you cared about with your best mates to music that you didn't really care about with people that you didn't really know. Yeah. Well, yeah. As you say, it's, it's a job, isn't it? And it's, it's better than a lot of other jobs. It's a good and job. It's, it's a, a good very, job. very good job. It's a good job. But it's, it's, but it's not, not a dream. It's not. It's the, and the, we, we had had that dream and unfortunately it hadn't, gone all the way but you do have to you did we did have to move on and you got that i was doing things and it but it'll always be a, a shame for us all of us probably even steve's probably even steve probably thinks well oh i don't know what he thinks of it now but um, remember when do you remember this i don't know i don't think we talked about this in our podcast but um do you remember when when they offered me a solo deal yeah who offered you a solo deal? Ireland. They did? Mm-hmm. They said, yeah, Denny, Denny Cordell, who was like high up in the company, he'd managed Joe Cocker and he'd been in the music business for years, used to produce music, Moody Blues, whatever. He was a little bit of a joke to us, but it, you know, he was a fairly respected figure in the music business, I think. Um, and his son worked for Ireland. Um, his name? Tarquin. Barney. 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 There we go. Um, it was also a little bit of a joke to us, but, you know, very nice, super posh, you know, terribly nice chap. Um, anyway, um, I got a call saying, do you want to come to Ireland? And Denny had a big fucking castle in Ireland and they flew me out there with our tour manager and drove me to his castle. And he basically said, do you want to, we want to sign you and, and take you to, I think it was Memphis or some, some you know, music town in, in America and put a band around you and do that because we think, great, um, you're, the, you're the talent, you're the special one. Um, I said, I can't. You know, we, we've been doing this since we were 11 and yeah, there were tensions with, with me and Steve and it hadn't really worked out, but it just, it was beyond me ethically and maybe beyond my imagination to to go yeah okay i don't i don't think i could have i don't know maybe i could have maybe i should have done i don't know but i don't think i was slept very well um actually i haven't slept very well since then so maybe i should have done anyway but yeah. um i just I, I said i can't now he said well then we're gonna have to drop you and i said well you're gonna have to drop us then and then i went back um i do think about that actually quite a lot like you know, what I would have done, what, how that would have worked. It could have been just shit. I might have gone there, fucked off my best mates, gone there and, and failed massively, you know. 
that he could have been, or probably would have been good. Could have gone and done really well, but um, it might well have done, and you, you you'll never know. And um, it's it's admirable, and it's nice for for you to have thought of us, and or well, I like to think you'd have done the same for me, but I don't know if you would. <laughs> yeah, don't know. But um, well, I mean, Julian, you you guys grew up together. I mean, you you guys have something that you know. Uh, really goes beyond music in the sense that you really started your lives together as as boys right so there's you remember each other as as friends before music really um did you i mean how do you preserve that or or was that a was that a challenge for you when the band was over and when you guys drifted apart i mean even well, just, you know no we didn't particularly stay friends i mean steve moved to america and it wasn't it didn't see him much, didn't speak to him really. I've hardly spoken to him. And then with Owen, I think we, well, we had the band, we still had the band for a while. And then after that, we sort of saw each other every now and again. And it was, it, it just sort of, yeah. Well, I mean, you sort of, you do grow apart. And also, if you're not doing the music anymore, it's sort of. Oh. I think a lot of that was my fault, actually. I, what, I, what I recall is I was, I remember Julian asking me, to do stuff, not musical stuff necessarily, but just like social things. Do you want to come down the pub? Do you want to come here? Do you want to go and do that? I was always no. In the end, he stopped asking, as you would, you know. So that was, I think I've said that before. I'm not very good at maintaining friendships. Um, but I wish I had, because I miss him. You know, yeah, it's, 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 it's only that we're, we're able to keep in touch via social media, via the internet, if, if you, Back, back before that we were uh, sitting in front of computers, we, were, we didn't see much of each other because that's, that's the way it, get, it goes. And, it got, and that's what's happened with a lot of people. And then you, we, so many people have, have managed to get back in touch with people by, by fucking Facebook, you know. And that, that's not how we've, the only way we've kept in touch. I mean, I can't even remember how we, we've got back in touch with each other. But um, yeah, it just, can't remember the question now. <laughs> just in terms of ultimately, I mean, the fact that we're all sitting here now chatting, I'm not, I mean, I have nothing to do with it, but you guys are sitting here chatting um, is, I think that's cool. I mean, it's nice that we have Facebook to, um, for this kind of thing, to to sort of reconnect. I mean, you guys, it sounds like you guys never really stopped talking or had a fist fight in an alley. Um, but it, it's it's nice that you are, in touch. I think that's really cool. I mean, I, I'd I, be out for a fist fight in an alley. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't want to fist fight you in an alley. Uh, not even in an alley. I wouldn't even fist fight you on a beach. <laughs> well, you know, don't un underestimate the the power of a good fisting. <laughs> but I mean, if if things were different, Julian, if if there was no global pandemic, if Owen didn't live in Thailand, if he lived around the corner from you, would you guys ever be open to jamming again? Like, would you, wouldn't that be kind of a cool thing? That's what, that's how you guys were raised. Wouldn't it be fun to kind yeah, of cover that? that? Yeah, maybe. But um, as I said at the start of this, I don't play a lot these days anyway. Right. Um, and we just, we, I, we have done a lot of playing together and it's been a long time. Um, but who knows? 
but it's at the moment it's uh it's not it can't happen can it right no we, it, we're we were, yeah. get, we were kind of going to do that actually because i went up to liverpool with Gerald, the guy I was talking about before. And we went to do the magical mystery tour thing, you know, which people who live in Liverpool are fucking too cool to do, but we thought, fuck it. Which I'd never done when I was up there with the bands, but I went, Gerald wanted to do it and I, I fancied it as well, so we did. And we're gonna meet up with Julian, but he had to babysit or do something, I can't remember what it was, some, some family thing, I don't understand. Um, and, uh, we thought, oh, next time, or, or maybe this time we could do it, or, or next time we come up, we'll go to the cavern, and we'll, because you can get up and jam there, right? Well, we do something, and, and we talked about maybe doing that. But, you know, now all this. Well, mm. Julian, do you have children? Yeah. And, well, too. and how, how old are they? Uh, nine and 12. Nine and 12. And so if, if, one day they came to you and said, we want to be in music, we want to, make, we want to be in a band. Um, if you yeah. had to sort of offer some sort of sage-like advice. Um, in seriousness, I, I, I'd love them to do it if they, if they wanted to do it, if they were ex as excited as I was when I was that age about playing music, I'd, I'd love it for them. And they're not though, they, they don't. My daughter can actually sing really nicely, but she won't do it. She's like, oh, I'm never going to sing. So, and my son is, he's quite keen on it. He's not got, actually he's quite good at writing lyrics, but he's done a couple of songs, but um, they'll never get a career in the music business because they're not, they're not really that way inclined, but I would, whatever they want to do, but particularly with music, I, I, I'd get right behind them and say, go for it because it's, it's, uh, it is a load of fun when it comes to it that you probably, you can't have doing many other things. If you get in a band with your friends and you're growing up together and do what we did, it, it was an unbelievable experience really. And I, I would encourage anyone to, to try and do it, but um, yeah. I, mm. Well, for you, what, in terms of that level of excitement, what, where do you find your joy um, these days? What makes you, motivated what makes you excited what makes you the happiest in your in your life I think it's, you don't really have that sort of excitement that, that you used to have when i don't know playing a decent gig or doing a, a recording that you that you were into and getting listened to it at the end i'm still sort of if i create something at home and listen but i can listen back to stuff i think wow this is really good but it's not it doesn't have that excitement i don't probably really have that at all in life i mean you know my 50s it's uh you get you get by i'm trying to get work all the time it's not it i didn't used to care about work back then yeah um it didn't matter and we used to get we we'd do like gigs and get a few quid and then we got a record deal so it, it was all fancy it was a fantastic few years and um yeah it's, it, it, things won't really be I've had sort of resigned myself that it, it it won't be life won't be as exciting as that. And and other things I did were where I've done sort of had records out and done a few TV shows and things and had a bit of success. It's it's the best it's the best life. It's the best yeah. living you can do as far as I as I know. Um, so yeah, everything else is a massive disappointment. So I'm afraid that's just the way it is. <laughs> um. That's a cheery note to end things on. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I know she, she didn't ask me how I found my excitement. I know. Uh, I, I am. I was going to ask you next. I mean, and do you, do you do you agree with? 
I always tease Owen about we're sort of fellow malcontents, but do you agree with Julian in terms of his assessment of, of that? Um, so, sort of, half and half. I mean, I, I definitely think that uh, it's difficult to keep your enthusiasm up as you age. Um, it, it's not just our generation and thinks the world's going to fuck. I mean, you just need to ask anyone who's got past 50 and they'll pretty much say the same thing. You know, I remember it like that when we were kids. Um, but I don't have the typical 50 year old person's lifestyle, you see. Um, in, in lots of ways, I'm the same as I was when we got signed or before, you know, uh, still no insurance, still no job, still no mortgage, still no wife, still no kids, uh, still no job, you know. Um, so I don't know what that, well, it's probably just a bunch of laziness as well, but I've never really been a someone that kind of fits into society very easily, you know, um, and hearing Julian speak about what it's like for him reminds me of what it's like when I talk to my other friends, I talk to Joel, for instance, you know, about it, and you know, kind of phlegmatic about aging and this, I'm like, I'm raging against the fucking dying of the night, you know, I, I, I'm, I will not go gentle into it. Um, so maybe it's it's weird and sad and whatever, and I try to hold on to lost youth or whatever. But I just I don't want to be an old guy, you know. Yeah. I don't want to have a big gut and fucking little weedy arms and not better walk up the stairs and not better go out and meet women and you know go off and jump on a plane and go somewhere with just a guitar. You know, I found that exciting at twenty, and I find it exciting at fifty, and I'm not ready to be. To, to not do that yet. Yeah. In fact, I don't think I'm ever going to be ready to to do the the settling down thing. I, I tried it for a bit. I gave it a fucking good go, but it didn't really take. But I, I get what I get. I totally understand. I'm with you on that too. And we're all around the same age. And um, but then there was also a sort of like uh, practicality to like Julian. You're saying you have children. You have you know they have to be taken care of. Like you're you're responsible for them. And so. Um, you guys are in different situations where, um, but I, 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 right, listen, I, I absolutely, I totally respect that. And, and the reason that I never had kids is because I knew that if you do have kids, you have to be that guy. You have to put them yeah. first and you have yeah. to, you know, otherwise you're just a fucking cunt parent. And I didn't want to be that. I just rather be just a cunt non-parent. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do that to a kid. They have to, you have to be. A good parent or you shouldn't be one at all and i just thought that I, I i wouldn't be a good parent or, or i wasn't you know i didn't have the stability to in my life to, to give them what they needed so i have lots of respect for for joel and for julie and other people that i've grown up with that have raised families and put them first i think it's awesome um so the fact that i don't it gives me extra freedom um, but also the fact that I don't, it makes me extra lonely. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, I get it. The, the Julian, you were, you were gonna say? Um, well, you, you do have to put them first and you do have to do certain things that are expected of you, but I still kind of have a part of me that doesn't wanna 
do the normal kind of thing and just be just be part of the system i, I do i don't <laughs> i'm not free to do the things you just described of just fucking off somewhere and all that but i still am sitting here trying to i'll probably be trying to write music to so I'm fucking 75 or 80 and I can't hear anymore. I'm, I still sit, sit here till two or three in the morning working on stuff um, with, with this sort of fantasies that I might be able to get um, on some film, film score or something. And, you know, I'm still doing it yeah. just, and, and, I, and I haven't got a proper job. And I've sort of thought about trying to get a proper job and I've gone for proper jobs, but nothing, I don't, I don't really fit in either. When I go to these those sort of environments, when I if if I go to an interview or something, I don't even get many of them. But it it's very hard when you've been all your life this sort of musician. And I mean, I did I gave it up for about ten years. Didn't play very much because I was I bought a pub, and I tried to sort of do get a proper business and do it. And it was it's it was a fucking unmitigated disaster, and I lost more money than I'll ever lose trying to do music unless I buy a studio, open a studio possibly, but you know, it was, it was, it was terrible. And I look back on it. Thinking, what happened to that old adage? You never lose money at owning a pub. <laughs> how well, did you, how did you, what, uh, you, know what, you do? The pub, was, the pub was okay actually, but we, we got out of there when, when we had a kid, but um, well, I had a restaurant in Liverpool and it was just, um, I don't know what I, was, I don't know what well, I was rest, saying. Restaurants. Yeah, definitely. That can be a real just, and we turned it into a bar. Well, you went there, yeah. Um, and it was—I don't know what I was thinking of to get to be doing that business for for so long. Um, and I worked for someone else as well in between those. And um, it was absolutely shit. And I'm, I should have just stuck with being a loser musician. I mean, I just would have been—if I'd have carried on. It's a long story, but you know, I—I I actually got a deal just before I sold up in London. I'm oh, sorry, just after it, I got this fairly big deal on a song I wrote, co-wrote. If I'd, if I'd had a crystal ball, I never would have given it up. I never would have left London because I, I had this deal. I got two years in a row, I got quite a few thousands of pounds off this one advert that I, I couldn't, if, I'd have thought, if I, I knew that was coming, it would, my life would have been completely different because I'd have been like, oh, I can stick with this. But it was just seemed like at that time, in 2006, this was... Things, nothing's going for me. It's uh, it's all gone downhill. I'm just going to sell up. I'm going to I'm going to get a pub. Let's just do something with my girlfriend. I'm I'm still with now. And it was just it was it was terrible, really. All all in all in all. How did and, you end up? Because last time I saw you before I went to America, you you had that house in East London. Why did you go to Liverpool? Why? Yeah. Well, stop. I I did this, the pub thing. So you know, sold up what I had there and um. Managed with that money because London boomed so much. I could get a pub. Did that for a couple of years, and then we'd met in Liverpool, me and Kitty. We met in the cavern. I actually didn't meet in the cavern, but we. Uh, but what, what we? What's the connection? Was Rialto from Liverpool? What was? <laughs> no, we should, we'd been playing up there. We played. Yeah, COVID over there. Um, I'd done. I had two gigs in Liverpool with with Louis and Tam back in whatever year, um, 2003 it was. And um, we, I, I met Kitty while I was up there for a couple of nights and we kept in touch. And so she had this big group of friends up in Liverpool. So when we were finishing the, um, in the pub and thinking, where are we going to move to? It's like, why don't we go to, back to Liverpool? I hadn't oh. heard back to Liverpool. 
and because we we had this big group of friends people a lot of people come here and don't leave because they it's a it's a pretty cool place mm-hmm. and it's, cheap. it's a cheap place to live so did you know i was thinking of moving up there myself when i was yeah. um i was teaching and there was a, a job opening at the liverpool institute of music or whatever the fuck it's called mm. um, and then you know all that stuff happened with my dad so didn't work out but yeah i was thinking of coming up and, and living there myself for a bit well it's certainly doable if you've yeah if you you can live on the you don't you don't need a fortune to sort of get by and um there's, there's a creative sort of spirit up here without a doubt so yeah because my mate paul simpson he he's like when i talk to him just the whole not the whole town but there's just <laughs> such a, a high proportion of fucking poets and artists and novelists and musicians and you know plus the uh all that so i mean i don't know there's not going to be no fireworks left for fucking bonfire night up here <laughs> what do you mean for? No, it's already celebrated the biggest night of the year come on yeah <laughs> well you know you guys i i mean the reason why it's it's you know, obviously, we're here to ch- we, we chatted about the album, and I gotta say, like, I know that it was not, it was a great time, and it was like the best of times, the worst of times, but I love the album, and I think it holds up beautifully. And, um, you know, I didn't know what you guys were like in the raw early days before the record was recorded because I was here in, in, in Berkeley, California, and all I got was the Star Club album on Island. Um, yeah. and I don't know if there's any extant recordings julian that you are in possession of but um it'd be fun to hear some of those and you guys could put them up on i don't know if you have any but well, i sent you a couple of paint those are amazing paint. i love the paint stuff i mean yeah. but i don't know if any sort of pre you know pre-island star club stuff exists but whatever um it's yeah. great it's great stuff what i think is interesting is um julian is you saying that you know you're going to be writing songs till you you can't anymore to you too old in death um and you were never a songwriter and i was the main songwriter and i don't write songs at all now i just kind of well, I, th- I think we it's think boring it's to me you you did a lot when you were young you were you were writing songs at the age of what 13 or 14 and i did, i still can't really write songs with lyrics and melodies and i write bits of music so it's more kind of back and track. You need a hand, like I could probably yeah. help you. Yeah. Um. So uh, probably I'm still searching for this sort of thing that I've <laughs> probably can't do, but I'm I don't know. I just keep going and trying to come up with the next thing. And you you're, you did a a lot, came up with a lot more than me. I mean, I didn't do anything for till the mid nineties, really. One of the things that happened that, that was difficult for me was that I. I, I felt personally for my own artistic, um, what's the word, the standards, that I'd written maybe five songs out of the 500 songs that I'd done that were just fucking perfect, that we came out exactly how I wanted them to. They, none of them on the Sacro record, by the way. Um, and I just liked them. I thought they're good. And I, I, I kind of thought I've done this now. <laughs> I've, I've done songs. Yeah. Um, I and I wanted that. to, huh? I can understand that you would feel like that because I suppose you you did put everything into it, and they were mainly your songs for for our album and the paint stuff. And then what have you done? What you've done after that? So I can understand. Also, there's a maybe a feeling of kind of like, well, if if this isn't good enough, then what what 
What, what else am I? It was definitely do? that. There was definitely that. It was a so mixture of, of thinking. Dave, you, should, start, you should try again. Do it again. Well, you know what I think is, I, I think you guys should collaborate. I think you guys should whip some ideas back and forth uh, through the ether. Why not? Yeah, because yeah, I, I know how to do it and don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I just think that you guys, you guys um, would come up with some cool stuff if, uh, as a collaboration. Whatever. I mean, Who's going to sing? Do you want to sing? I can't really sing very well anymore. We don't need vocals. Who needs vocals? <laughs> Who needs vocals? I can sing if we pitch it low. Pitch it. Oh. Pitch it. <laughs> Yeah, let's pitch it low. <laughs> we could do, maybe we could do rap. I don't know. You know what? Gonna I'm just going to sit here and, and then go over and over in my head all these fucking terrible mistakes. And, no, no, no. I, this is a great, it's a really good conversation, I think, to have for even for young bands to hear. And by the way, you know, I worked in radio for a really long time, Julian, and there were, your story is, there were a lot of bands that put records out on Island. I, I can remember a band called Hinterland, a band called The Heretics, only H bands, and a bunch of albums on major, other major labels where they just literally, it was one album and they were done. I mean, this is a story that I don't think gets reported very often, um, but it does happen. And I, and I have a, I have a, I can name a hundred bands that it happened to. It happens differently, of course. Um, but the idea that like you thought you made it, you thought you were over that, to that place and then it just sort of you know it didn't happen yeah i don't know probably for every band that you that did make it or even have a, their first album got somewhere there's at least there's probably 10 that didn't and or more or, or more and it, it, it's it's completely understandable that a record company that's put loads of money into something and say it costs two hundred thousand pounds to make a record and promote it say that if the first one didn't get anywhere they're gonna go I don't think any of these are going to get anywhere. Let's get rid of them. That's completely understandable. So you really, you just have to, they have to do any young band or whatever, whoever just has to do their best to fucking make it on the first one. And right. you know, just, just do your best. And as I said earlier, if you, if you can make, do it more organically and build up your following a la sort of Stone Roses or other bands, then, then you can't be denied, can you? Because you've got the fans. Yeah. It's all there. If you try and go in high like us, Say, I'll buy this record and nobody buys it. It's not, oh, well, we've spent 300 grand on you and nobody's bought it. Whereas if you've, if you've built it slowly, that, and I, I think that was said at the time that, that we should have done. I think Owen used to say that. Um, that but, we should have done. I mean, Julian, but then the, the Stone Roses got themselves into their own kind of trouble and their trouble really was time as well. I mean, they, they, they put that first, that first record out and then they it's didn't do anything. It's a similar story, you're right. It's right. a similar story with them, although they were massive before they did that second coming yeah. out. But they, they, they did do the same sort of thing, and probably for a lot of different reasons. I suppose they're, I mean, they still had the band. They weren't, they weren't spending time doing all the production that we did. But, um, but it was time. Yeah. You know, time. it was time. I mean, time as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, time is sort of the great the great enemy. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where, especially when you're young, where you, you're, and you're restless and you feel, but anyway, well, I hope, I hope you guys collaborate. I, I love the album and Owen knows that I talk about it incessantly. I listen to it all the time. Um, okay. To me, it's a, it's, yeah, it's just one, one of a few flaws in your character. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's plenty more where that came from, Owen. I was being um, polite. 
no, no. But it, but it's uh, it, it's a beautiful album, and I love it. And it was it was to me. I remember the excitement of of hearing it and feeling like it does what all great pop music does. Is it made me feel possibility um, in life, especially being you know being a young guy and hearing that you feel this kind of personal velocity gets kind of kickstarted by music like that. And so, you know, congratulations to both of you on what I think is a beautiful, um, rousing album. So um, anyway, oh, I hope you, yeah. hope you guys collaborate. All right. Well, I'm up for it if you are. Okay, we'll see what, we'll see what we've got. All right. Well, I've got nothing. We'll take that. That. <laughs> that sounds like balls in my court. Um, <laughs> all right. to admit that during that conversation i was i was sweating a little bit there were some moments that were uh you know tense but there were other moments that were absolutely uh, beautiful and um you know all of the stuff in between i thought was incredibly informative and uh and actually really cool of them to uh you know go over all that material and all those years um and all that time and uh, that they spent on their band. And, um, you know, it's tough to kind of survey a career and do a postmortem when, um, it's not the way you wanted things to go. And I appreciate Julian and Owen, uh, breaking it down for me and, and sort of giving us a good forensic look at what happened to star club. It's a real pity because they're a great band and, uh, they're both great musicians Owen's a friend of mine, a very good friend, and um, and he's a remarkable singer and songwriter. Julian's a great bass player. I hope they collaborate. I hope they, uh, you know, send stuff back and forth and uh, start working together again. Because there's something about growing up with somebody that uh, you know it's a, it's a kind of unbreakable bond. And um, and those guys uh, they have a they have a real chemistry. That, um, that will never go away. So anyway, I'm glad they talked. I'm glad they talked with us here on the podcast. And uh, I'm glad you got a chance to hear it. And I'm glad they're still friends. So there we go. Uh, wow. That was, that was heavy, though, wasn't it? My God. Owenvice.bandcamp.com uh, is where you should go to hear Owen's album, Long Player. Fantastic album. Go get it. It's raw it's soulful, it's melodic, it's great. I love it, and you're going to love it too. So pick up a copy for yourself, and uh, maybe grab one for a friend. Grab one for an enemy too. Do something nice to support all these great artists who have their music up on Bandcamp. Owen Vice being one of them. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or do it the old-fashioned way. Email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Who do you want on the show? Who do you want back on the show? 
Who do you never want back on the show? <laughs> There's nobody like that. We've had uh, we've had some wonderful conversations. Nobody nobody's been ever kicked out of our show. That's not happening. It's a place of love. Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes our radio station tick because we tick away 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. What more could you want? Let's close the show with a longer listen to, you know, what I think is the best song of the 90s. Star Club, hard to get. Enjoy it. And thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Many, many go away and come again another day. Sick and tired of Tuesdays. Wednesdays could be better. 